my wife and I just got back uh, early this weekend from a trip that we took. Uh, it has been a bucket list item trip for, uh, I mean, probably decades, but certainly a decade uh, or more. Uh, we have been talking for years and years and years about going to one of those islands in the Maldives uh, where you get to be on an island in the middle of the Indian Ocean just off the coast of India. And, and all you do is uh, you just snorkel and and sit on the beach and snorkel and sit on the beach and eat and snorkel and sit on the beach. And so uh, we've been wanting to do that for a long time. And we were saving up and watching for deals on a trip like that for a couple of years. It was our intent to go for our 25th wedding anniversary two years ago. But COVID kind of was a thing. And we were like, yeah, not so fun to, to go during that. And so we, we pushed it back. We found a deal. We saved up. And for our 27th slash 25th wedding anniversary, uh, we just got to go on that trip with uh, two of our dear friends and, and literally went to this little island uh, in the middle of the Indian Ocean. The, the island uh, is, is a couple of acres. It is a coral reef that sticks out of the water. So then it, it turns into some trees and other things. And you get to go and sit on this island and literally you walk off the beach into the clear blue water and the entire thing is surrounded by a coral reef. And so it is a snorkeler's paradise in every way. And um, Brooke and I love snorkeling. I love ocean life. I wanted to be a marine biologist growing up. I chose to work with people instead of fish. Not so sure that was a great idea, but I'm just kidding. I do like you all, um, but I do love fish. Um, and so it's always just this amazing space. And, and so we got to be on this little island for the last week. And every day, you just literally you wake up in the morning and you go out. And, and I, I got to tell you, uh, Brooke and I have, have had the privilege to snorkel in a number of places, uh, some of the best places in, in the world. And I have never, ever, ever, ever seen anything like this, ever in my entire life. It was unbelievable. In fact, um, the friends that were with us, he said it best. At one point about day three, we come out of the water after now having snorkeled three, four times a day for three days straight. And you never go into the ocean without seeing something new. I mean, uh, reef sharks, black tip sharks, white tip sharks. Uh, 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 there were nurse sharks. There were uh, moray eels. There were uh, there were. Stingrays, they, I mean, everything you can imagine. And then a thousand, just thousand fish. Literally, he's like, what, 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 like this. And he said, you know what it's like? It's like snorkeling in an aquarium. That's what it was like, snorkeling in an aquarium. So we were like wondering if they had like a glass thing around the island so that the fish couldn't escape. And you were actually in an aquarium and you thought it was real. That's how incredible the snorkeling was in this place. And I remember being on the island and there were other, you know, uh, other people on the island uh, uh, staying there as well. And, and there were several people I noticed throughout the day. Uh, there was this pool that was also available. We used it to rinse the salt water off uh, as we came out of the ocean, right? But there were people that spent the majority of their time sitting by that pool. Like I was literally like constantly having a little bit of a panic attack for them. Like I'm like, do you know where you are? Like it took us 41 hours to get here. And then here we are on this island with literally the best snorkeling in the world. I mean, there were three couples from Australia that had, had scuba dived the, the, the Great Barrier Reef. And they were like, never seen anything like this. That, that's how incredible. And I wanted to go up to these people by the pool and just say to them, like, stop, get away from the pool. 
You can go in a pool anytime you want, anywhere in the world, but there's only one place like this, and you are crazy to sit by the pool. Like, it's just, no! Uh, we bumped into one of the people that worked on the island. She had a contract there for, I think, a two-year contract, and she'd been there a couple of months. So I'm chatting with her, and I'm like just curious, what's it like to live on this island? I legitimately had the thought, I'm staying here. There was this, this guy, sorry, quick side note. He had this white thing that had sticky stuff on either side, and he would walk around and just go like this at breakfast and lunch and catch flies, right? And I remember having the thought, I could do that job. Like, if, if they don't have to pay me, as long as I can just eat breakfast and lunch and snorkel in the afternoons, I will do it for free and live on this island. I, I chose to come home. You guys just know I love you a great deal because that was very tempting. But I'm talking to this, this lady, and, and I want to know what's it like to live on this island, to, to have this be your home. And, and every time you are on break, like, there is the best snorkeling in the world. So I asked her, like, like, what's it like? How often have you gone? And she's like, oh, I haven't gone out. And I'm like, oh, whoa, time out. What? What? You live on this island and you haven't gone into the ocean? She's like, no, I, I, I can't swim. And so I haven't gone out and snorkeled. And I'm like, you are on the island with the best snorkeling in the world visions and wonder to see beyond what your imagination is capable of and you haven't gone in the water learn to swim like i'm just it, it's almost angering isn't it when you've experienced something so wondrous beyond words and there are other people that are right there they it's 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 theirs for the taking they are on the island and they're by the pool they're by the pool so um we have just entered into another incredible letter, right? Uh, that we are now beginning to explore. Uh, the letter that Peter is writing to the same set of churches that he wrote his first letter to, 1 Peter. This is his second letter, 2 Peter. And if you were here last week, you remember that Brady shared with us an, an introduction into this incredible letter and a couple of key things to know about this letter that sets a uniqueness to it that we should pay attention to. First of all, he reminded us that this letter uh, is a letter where Peter was very aware that he was facing his imminent death. Uh, things had started getting really, really difficult under Nero and, and, and persecution was rising and Peter was aware that he was not going to live long. He was going to die. And uh, historical tradition uh, tells us that Peter would actually be martyred shortly after this. And so Peter's aware of that. And that's important because when you're with someone that is either writing or speaking something and they know that this may be the last time that they get to offer you thoughts that they have, there is an elevated urgency to the way we pay attention to that. Because you know that they are taking a more acute precision to what they're processing, thinking, and, and saying in this. And so this letter should just for us kind of say, this one is unique because Peter is sensing that this is the last time he's writing to the churches. And so he's got to say what he's got to say. And, and then... Uh, Brady showed us that this book, like so many of the letters being written during this time by Paul, by Peter, by John, by several people, this, this book is a grace sandwich, right? 
It, it starts with a, a, an extraordinary delivery of the grace of God toward us. It ends with an extraordinary delivery of the grace of God toward us. And then the middle is really just our response to that grace and the urgency to keep diligently pursuing truth and ignoring falsehood. That's really what you're going to see in so many of the letters during this time. In fact, Peter will write in this letter later on, kind of clarifying some of what Paul meant when he was writing some of his letters, because some of the false teachers Peter was confronting actually used Paul's writings to demonstrate sort of a misuse of grace, because Paul leaned so far into grace, right? And Peter's like, he did lean so far into grace, but not in the way you think. He almost had to explain how it's not as like crazy as it seems because the authors of these letters want us as the recipients of these letters to come to this conclusion that at the end of the day, if we do not have an extraordinarily clear and right view of what we are recipients of in the grace and gift of God, then any response we have in our actions or virtues are not going to be from the right place or not going to be sustainable. We cannot sustain virtuous living unless it is an act of worship in response to God's grace. And if we happen to sustain it, it'll be self-righteousness if it is not out of a response of worship of God's grace. And so the authors are just going to be like, here's God's gift to you. Here's God's grace towards you. Here's God's gift to you. Here's God's grace towards you. And in view of that, let us respond. And that's what we're going to find as we enter into this extraordinary letter. So grab your Bibles and jump in with me to the book of 2 Peter or 2 Peter, either way. And we are going to be jumping in uh, right after where Brady left off in verse 3. So if you have your Bibles, grab them, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And if you don't, just sit back and enjoy the word of God unfolding as we enter into it and read it. Verse 3, Peter writes, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So he starts out with this extraordinary statement that you and I who know Jesus and have been given the Holy Spirit, we have received from God by whose divine power? By his divine power. So this is irrelevant of you or I, irrelevant of your talent, your ability, your gifting, your virtue, your, your righteousness. Your, forget it. This is by the divine power of God that we are the recipients of this thing. And what are we the recipients of? We are the recipients of everything that is necessary for life and godliness. How much? everything. So this is an interesting statement, isn't it? Because it disqualifies the ability of me saying, if I only had this strength, this ability, this, this, uh, whatever, then I could live a godly life. And, and Peter starts out here going, you have to understand that in receiving the gospel and coming to know Jesus and receiving the spirit, how much do you have that is necessary for all life and godliness? Everything. Which is an incredible thing, isn't it? That I'm like, okay, I have everything. So now I've, I've got this curiosity. It's like, what does it mean that I have everything to be able to live 
this life, for this life. What does that mean? Look what he says. He says, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So here Peter now says, by his divine power, you've been given everything you need for life and godliness. And this life and godliness you've been called to, it is a sharing in, a partaking in, a being part of his glory and excellence. We need to just stop here for a second and go, you need to see where this is going. You and I have no business being a part of God's glory and excellence. Do you understand that? When we were created with our original created purpose as human beings to be image bearers of God, to, if you will, carry, share, partake in his glory and excellence and display it, we lost that when our ancestors, Adam and Eve, chose their own way. And we no longer share in the glory and excellence of God. We are in sin and death and darkness and corruption, and he is glorious and excellent. And what Peter says here is, understand before we go anywhere else, that by his divine power, he has given you everything you need and me everything I need for life and godliness, so that in that life and godliness, we might now be those sharing in his glory and excellence. Do you want to be someone that lives a life that is sharing in glory and excellence? Yes. And he's like, okay, just so you know, you have it. It is yours. So let's talk about then where that goes. Watch this. Peter then says, okay, so by which, this is so, it's just like, again, it's just the more, it just gets better and better. So now here's what, here's what the divine power has given us. By which, verse four, he has granted us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. This is insane. Like I, sometimes I'm up here and I know we're like all paying attention, but I'm like, anybody else? Did you just hear what I just read? Did you just read what I just read? Here's what Peter's trying to say. By God's divine power, he's given you everything you need for life and godliness as you are a partaker in his glory and excellence. And FYI, this is leading to that which you are now, a partaker in his divine nature. What it doesn't mean is that you are becoming God. What it means is that just as he created us originally to be image bearers of his divine nature, his character, his being, his way, who he is, we are now reinstituted to be able to do that. You and I in Christ by his spirit are now enabled to be a people that display the divine nature of God. What? What? And, and Peter hasn't even gone, he's just like, just so you know where you're at, who you are, who you belong to, what kingdom you're part of. Are we clear so far? Oh no, 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 it gets better. Watch this. And then he says this, partakers of the divine nature. And as though Peter's sort of like, I'm talking about what you've been recipients of but you forget, perhaps, perhaps, that you're not just recipients of this incredible thing. What you had before you were recipients of this incredible thing was not neutral. It was horrid. It was terrible. It was death. It was corruption. So what he's, what he's reminding of is, it's one thing to say, I was me, 
and now I, now I get to share in all this. But he's like, but do you remember where you were from, what you've escaped? Watch this. So there he says it, partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So he's reminding us that once before we came to know Jesus, before we were recipients of God himself, the Holy Spirit, before we were given all things necessary for life and godliness, we existed in the corruption of sin. And what does sin do all the time without relenting? It destroys. It destroys. It corrupts and destroys. Corrupts and destroys. You and I were on a journey toward an end of corruption and destruction. We have been rescued from that. That would be enough. But no, you have also been empowered to be partakers in the excellence and glory of God. To now be partakers in his divine nature and bear once again to all of creation and to one another the image of God by living and breathing and being a person of light, life, and freedom instead of a person of death, darkness, and destruction, and bondage. Wow! And now, Peter's like, okay, are we clear on the grace? Are we clear on the gift? Here's what I'm experiencing from you all. Mm. 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 I think so. Did you read what I read? Did you hear what I said? Like, this is the part where we are supposed to go, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. This is insane. And the only reason that's not happening is because you and I haven't yet imagined the wonder of what we've just read. And so there we are. So Peter's like, okay, that is what we're recipients of. Verse five, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So now Peter comes to us and invites us, calls us, compels us into a response to what we have just discovered. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's saying, in light of, for this very reason. Why should we engage in what we're engaging in? Because we now realize who we are, what kingdom we belong to, who our king is, what he's done for us, what life, light, and freedom really is, what death, darkness, and destruction really is. And in light of that, for this very reason, how should you then and I then choose to engage in living our life? Not because we have to, but because we would be idiots not to. That's kind of what Peter's saying. So let's talk about the idiocy of what it would be like not to respond in this way. For this reason, respond in this way. And now he walks through a list of seven things. I don't know that seven is a significant number or not. God seems to rhythmically work through seven sometimes. So whenever I notice a seven, I'm always just like, God, there's something neat about that. Maybe even intentional. But there are seven things here, a movement towards something. And he's saying, if you are now the carrier of the power for all things life and godliness, for life and godliness, and you are a partaker in the divine nature. Do you want to know what the divine nature looks like? Do you want to know what it just practically plays out to be right here in everyday life? 
Well, it starts with virtue. Take your faith, that which you know to be true and believe, and now engage in that which is virtuous. You know what virtue means, right? And everybody nods and like, yep, virtue, I know. Do you really? Because every time I come to a word like that, I'm like, virtue, it's a normal word, English language, I got it. But what does it actually mean? And it's always good just to define so that when we say, I want to be virtuous, you might know exactly what you're committing to. You know what I'm saying? So listen to this. Virtue. Virtue in the dictionary says, moral excellence, goodness, righteousness, the conformity of one's life and conduct to moral and ethical principles, uprightness, and attitudes. It is a particular moral excellence. So what virtue is, is to take what is right, what is good, what is you've discovered to be the right way, and to do what? Live it. Virtue. There it is. What is virtue? It is living what you know to be right. If you know something to be right and good, and you put it into practice, you are virtuous. And so it starts with this. If we are going to be a people responding to the gift we have received from God, to who we now are in him, to what kingdom we belong to, to the privilege we have to be partakers in his divine nature, then it starts with this. Then by all means, in response to this, look at what's good and right and do it. Not complicated, virtuous. Step into virtue. Supplement your faith. Now, it doesn't mean your faith needs supplementing so that God will be happy with you and you'll get to go to heaven. We, it's, it's clear in scripture that our rescue from sin into life was an act of God's divine power and a gift from God and God alone. But he's saying, since I've rescued you, since you are part of this, how would you want to live? The way you're used to in corruption or to step into my way now. Okay, so here it starts. Virtue. Take what you know to be right, put it into practice. And then he says, and virtue from virtue to knowledge. Why knowledge? Why knowledge next? Well, this is a progression that we are in. It's clear in scripture. Our journey with Jesus is progressive, just like any other relationship we have. And what he's saying is, if you want to live out what's right, what do you also need to know? You need to know what's? Right. So grow in virtue, putting into practice what you discover to be right, and grow in the knowledge of what is God's way, what is right. Has God given us a means by which we can grow in the knowledge of his way? What means would this be? His word, his spirit, and the community. For us to wrestle together by the spirit of God with his word, what a combination. And I'm just going to tell you right now, because it's clear as day, our culture, the Western culture, the American culture, we are a culture that over time has become so obsessed with the quickness of things, the shortcuts of things, the get around things, the not working hard on things, that we are a poor culture when it comes to engaging in the study of God's word. We show up at YouTube, we show up on podcasts, we show up at church to try to get a quick, somebody else did the work, give us what we need so we can have all the things and go. But to actually sit and study and dig in and grow in knowledge, that sounds tedious. It takes time. And do you have time? No, you don't. Because you're busy with what? I don't know, a lot of stuff. And I'm just saying, what Peter's saying here is, 
if we are not gonna grow in knowledge, then our virtue is limited to that which we only know now. And yet how much knowledge is there of the things that are good and right and of God? more than we can discover in a lifetime and we need to get into it. So I would just continue to encourage you, dig in. You know, I, I get paid to have to study this along with some of the others here on the teaching team. And I hope I could say to you that if this wasn't my job, I would still study this as diligently as I do now. I don't know if I would or not. I wish I could tell you that I would know one way or the other, but I've done this for so long, I only know this way. But what I do know is now that I've done this for so long, the greatest gift of my life so far on this planet is the privilege I've had to get to know over these 17 years and before the extraordinary depth of God's word. And I am grateful that by God's grace, he allowed for me to have to do it because I don't know that I would have if I didn't have to. I hope I would have, but I don't know, but I did. And now all I want is to come to you and say, do it, do it. Because it's incredible what you, what's waiting to be mined is incredible. And there's something about mining it yourself that's different. When, when uh, we teach on the stage, do you understand we're teaching 10% of what we mined out the week or month before? 10%. There's another 90% waiting for you. Go find it. Why? Because have you been given everything you need for life and godliness? Yes. So start putting into practice the practice of taking what God has given you and enjoying practicing how that plays out. So we need to go from virtue, uh, add virtue, add to virtue, knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. So add to knowledge, self-control. Watch how this progresses. What happens when you are a person that has made the decision, empowered by the Spirit of God, because you know what kingdom you belong to, who you belong to, and who you are now, to begin to engage in simply putting into practice that which you discover to be right in God's way. And you're growing in the knowledge of what is right in God's way. Those two things are happening. What is the fruit of a labor of growing in the knowledge of God's way and putting it into practice? Self-control. Do you want to be around humans that are self-controlled? Me too. Me too. Do you want to be around humans that have no self-control? Have you ever been around a human, a spouse, a child, a parent, a friend, or an enemy that has no self-control and thought to yourself, this is life-giving. This is wonderful. I love this. This, when they come in here and they have no self-control, it is my favorite. Listen, when we lack self-control and we just go with whatever impulse and response we have, it is rarely helpful. And if it is, it is in the brevity of that response happening to be half decent. But a lack of self-control always ends up being as terrible as it is wonderful because you never know what you're going to get. But somebody who has self-control brings predictability and safety and, 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 and a sense of, of, of life and light. And he's saying, grow in virtue, grow in knowledge, grow in self-control. And then he says, self-control, where does this go? As we grow in virtue and knowledge and self-control, it leads to steadfastness. Grow in steadfastness. Steadfastness is this predictability, this sense that what you are doing, you're going to continue to do. 
When we say we are steadfast, we say in my virtuousness, in my growing in knowledge, in my growing in self-control, I am now steadfast. I am not movable, shakable. I'm not tossed to and fro. The opposite of steadfast is to be tossed. And so what he's saying is this, when we live our lives trusting the ways of God, growing in the knowledge of those ways, growing in the practice, the diligent practice of those ways, we lead into self-control, we grow in self-control, and what that starts preventing is you and I being tossed to and fro. And we instead both experience and display a steadfastness, which is, remember, part of the partaking of the divine nature because is God steadfast, virtuous, self-controlled, and is he knowledge itself? Do you see where he's taking us? You want to be like me? This is what begins to happen. Watch this. And then from self-control into steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness. Godliness. We actually looked at godliness when we were in one of the other letters that Paul wrote. But as a reminder, because again, the word, you know what godliness means, right? Of course I do. What does it mean? I don't remember. So uh, let me help you because I'm in the same boat. Here's godliness. Remember this. The quality or practice of conforming to the laws and wishes of God, devotedness and moral uprightness, piety. Piety. What is piety? Oh, good question. Let's go look up piety. Piety, here it is. Reverence for God or devout fulfillment of religious obligations. In other words, when we talk about godliness, we are not simply talking about the behaviors that look godly. We are talking about a devoted response to the gift and grace of God in the way we live. Do you see the difference? Godliness is not behaving rightly in a response to earn anything from God. That is actually not godliness, though the behaviors might be godly. Godliness is a response to God's grace and gift in the way that I live. Because it is a devoted response to a love for God in the way we then live. Virtuous and godliness are similar. Because both of them are me saying, in view of what God has done, and in view of who I know he is, I'm going to trust his ways and put them into practice. And so he says, this then leads to godliness. And remember, Paul said, godliness is good for how much of life? All of life. Do you want to be around people that are godly? That their behaviors are the kinds of behaviors you would expect from God? Yes, I want to be around those people. Where are they? And he says, I've given you everything to move toward that. And then he says this. Watch, this is so cool. So cool. And godliness with brotherly affection. It's sort of a weird move, isn't it? Like you're tracking about like virtue and then like knowledge, steadfastness, self-control, steadfastness, godliness. And then you're expecting like some higher, like next thing. And there's like brotherly affection. And you're like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. All this leads to what? What it leads to. When I am a person that trusts God's way, knows his ways, puts them into practice, grows in self-control because of that, and practices self-control, out of self-control, grows in this sense of steadfastness, out of steadfastness, into godliness. Do you know what the result of that is? I will love you better. 
and you will love me better and we will love each other better because people that match what that nature is, the divine nature, God's nature, they love better because God is great at loving us. And what did Jesus say? The way people will know that you follow me is how? By your love for each other. So isn't it funny that all of this track of sharing, being partakers in the divine nature leads us where? To learning to love each other better. To, to put each other's needs ahead of our own. And you will not do that if virtue and knowledge and self-control and, and, and godliness and steadfastness is not growing in you. But if it is, then that's where it lands. Do you want to be part of a community where the people are growing in their ability to love each other well? I mean, there's like five of you like, yeah, I want in. The rest of you think about it for a second. The alternative, ready? A community of people that lack self-control, are ungodly, are not steadfast and totally unpredictable, that act out of whatever impulses they have, and that do not have any love for their brothers or sisters because their love is self-directed. How about that one? Yay! But do you see where this is starting to go? Like you're starting to feel stupid if you choose the other one. Like you're like, oh, that, that just doesn't seem like it makes any sense. And that's what Peter's trying to do. In view of who God is and what he's done for us and the empowerment we have, why would you choose to live any other way than partaking in those things that are part of his divine nature? And then look at this. The six things lay out. And then number seven, the crowning jewel of this journey toward the divine nature and brotherly affection with love. When Jesus was asked, okay, boil it down, Jesus. I mean, all the law, all the prophets, everything that the word of God says, what's the big one? What did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love, love. That's what this is all about, because God's divine nature at its pinnacle is a display of love. And so here's what he's saying. You and I are the recipients of a gift from God, a grace from God that has empowered us to live a life like nothing else. And when we live that life, choosing his way instead of ours, because we've been empowered to it, given his word to learn of it, and given the community to do it together in, then we will lead to become a people that show the world what God is like. And then they will want to know more about this God. That is what we are invited and called to do. And then he says this, <clears throat> for if these qualities are yours and are increasing they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ so he's literally saying what is the great commission the great call of our lives while on this planet now that we belong to a different kingdom and have a different king and we know where we're headed what is our great mission to preach the gospel. That's right. One of you said it. That was good. Okay. So now all of the rest of you know it now. To what? Preach the gospel. In other words, to tell people about this kingdom and this God and his love and their freedom waiting to be realized. To go and live out and preach the gospel. And here's what he's saying. Do you want to be effective and fruitful in making known the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Then Peter says, in response to God's grace and gift to us, participate actively and diligently 
by engaging in the divine nature that is yours for the taking because he's already given you the ability by his spirit and his grace and his word and the community to be partakers in his glory and excellence and in his divine nature. So go and do it now. You can, you should choose it. And when you do, then the effectiveness and fruitfulness of your life will be extraordinary. That's what he's saying. So as a bonus to the life you'll experience and those around you will, you'll also be fruitful. And if you're a follower of Jesus, one of the things I know that bends in you is I want to be fruitful. And then Peter does this thing. Now he does this thing. Watch this. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, dear brothers, be more diligent. I love this. Peter doesn't mince words here, right? He's now talked about what it's like, okay, obviously in response to this, do this. But he's like, for those of you that choose not to, Renault included, right? For those of you that go, no, that's okay. I'm gonna do it my way. I'm gonna do my thing. I'm gonna go with my impulses, my feelings, my stuff, my needs, my whatever, fill in the blank. You are, what did he say? Blind. So you guys both said nearsighted and blind. It's interesting because actually the problem is nearsightedness, not blindness. This person is not blind. He's not talking to non-believers here, people that don't know Jesus. He's not saying to those of you that think you have faith, but you don't. Who's he talking to here? Those of you that know Jesus and choose to ignore this and do it your way, you are so what? nearsighted, you are right here, that you can't see what's past in front of you and what's waiting for you. So you're practically blind. In fact, you are blind. You know who these people are? And, and I, do any of us who, they're the people by the pool. That's who these people are. Legit. They're on the island. They're part of the kingdom. They, they've, they've done the 41 hours. They're here. God has rescued you. He has brought you here. He've, he's told you who you are. He's told you what's around you. He's given you a coral reef beyond your wildest imagination. You follow God's way and it continuously just leads to more life, light, and freedom as you begin to journey. All of it's yours for the taking. And, th- and this is what Peter's saying. If after knowing all this, you just go sit by the pool, you're an idiot. That's what he's saying. Now, some of you are like, I like the pool. I want to be by the... I'm not talking about any pool anywhere. I'm talking about when you're on the island we went to and you travel there because you like to snorkel, don't go to that island if you don't want to snorkel. You know what I'm saying? And we didn't show up here having been rescued by God, made new, children of God, people that belong to his kingdom with a king who is life, light, and freedom, who has given us his word by his spirit in his community to say, go now and enjoy all that I've given you. Live it out. Watch it bear its fruit of life, light, and freedom. And on top of that, bring the world to know me. Go do that. And we don't, we're idiotic. And Peter's saying, so I I hope that's clear. This isn't about like, you better go do this because otherwise God's going to be very upset. He's just like, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Now I get it. Just like you, I struggle. I struggle with the temptations of my being and life and flesh. The other humans do stuff to me all the time that I'm like, ugh, I don't like you anymore. And, and, and then I do stuff to them and they're like, ugh, I don't like you anymore. 
and, and there's stuff I want, and, and there's stuff. So I, it, what Peter's saying is, I, I get it. it. It's not just, but you've been given this vision, this gift, this clarity, and empowered to the diligent work to participate in it. He's not saying, get it right today. He's saying, get started. Get some goggles on. Put a snorkel in your mouth. Stick your head under the water. And when you first see like, oh my goodness, there's a little gray fishy swimming by. And we go, oh, honey, this is just the beach. Swim past the wall and there is a world of glory waiting for you to discover. And Peter's saying, don't you want that? You're on the island. Start snorkeling. Because if all you do is sit by the pool, what a terrible tragedy that would be. You're so nearsighted, you're practically blind. You don't even see what's waiting for you. And all you do is hear it from the other people. Oh, God is glorious. Mm, I'm sure he is. The pool's nice. And the crazy part is that, that it's not even the pool that we get to sit by, according to the, this passage. We are either choosing God's way or the way of corruption. So it's not even a pool. It's worse than a pool. It just feels like a pool. It feels like a nice little warm pool, but it ain't. So he's saying, get in the water. Watch this. <clears throat> Therefore, brothers, verse 10, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail or fall. This is an interesting theological statement right here that Peter's making. James speaks to this when James was writing the first letter he sent out to the early New Testament church. Um, it, it was the first one that literally went out. Uh, Peter had just been arrested in the book of Acts. James, the disciple of Jesus, had just had his head chopped off by Herod. Uh, the church was a bit in crisis, thinking, man, the apostles even can die. What does this mean for us? The gospel was shaky. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, who's leading the church in Jerusalem, writes a letter, the book of James, out to the early New Testament church, the 12 tribes scattered. And he, he unpacks this beautiful letter. And in that letter, he speaks about faith. And he says, our faith, our faith, that thing that we know and believe, whether or not it's genuine is something that's between you and God. But if I, if I want to look at you and you want to look at me, or I even want to look at myself and say, is my faith genuine? I will show you my faith by the way my faith plays out into life. You with me? Because if I say I believe things and then I live opposed to the things I say I believe, it certainly does at least put a question mark on whether that faith is genuine because I'm either not a person of genuine faith or I'm so nearsighted I'm blind. I don't know which one it is. So if you're here and you're like, oh no, my faith isn't genuine because I'm struggling with an addiction. I'm like, you may just be nearsighted, don't worry. But what, Paul, what Peter is saying here is this. Don't you want to wake up in the morning and be living a life that actually adds to the certainty of the authenticity of your faith? The way you live your life doesn't make your faith authentic or not, but it does help you and I have that sense of confidence. My faith is birthing fruit. It's birthing life and light and freedom. I want more of God. That's progressing. My faith must be genuine. If it's not, then I'm constantly going, am I nearsighted and blind or is my faith not genuine? Do either of those sound fun? No. So he's like, as a bonus to being fruitful and having life and being the kind of human people want to be around and representing Christ and sharing in his divine nature, as a bonus to all of that, your certainty of your faith will also be yours for the taking. How awesome is that? And then he closes with this, for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, 
Jesus Christ. Now, pay attention here because Peter doesn't leave this to question, oh, if I live virtually and in a godly life, then I'll get to enter in. What gets us to enter into heaven? What is our righteousness? Who is our righteousness? Jesus. If you know Jesus, whether you're nearsighted and blind or not, guess what you're going to have? Entry into the kingdom of God because it is the divine wonder and gift and grace of God that we are saved. But what he is saying here is this. If you want to know if you're saved, look to Jesus and his great promises. Remember he said he's given us all his promises. But if you choose to diligently participate in that divine nature by living out what you've been empowered to live out now, when you enter in, it will be a rich entering in. We don't quite know in this passage, I can't wait to ask Peter exactly what he meant, but knowing what happens in the book of Revelation, that when we enter into the kingdom of God, there is both that sense of whether I belong to him or not, that's by his grace and gift. And then it says, my works will be cast into a fire, burned up, and that which was done for God will come out and it will be like a reward. Like a, like a gift, like, a, like an awe of like, wow, thank you that you let me do all this with you and for you. And what he's saying is this, if you live nearsighted and blind, if you have genuine faith, you'll still enter the kingdom. But it's, it's going to be a bit of a bummer insofar as you'll be like, wow, there was an entire island to snorkel and I sat by the stupid pool. But for those of you that snorkeled up a storm, and rinsed off in the pool to get the salt off. For you, you will stand there and richly enjoy the beauty of what it meant to share in the divine nature, being an image bearer of the God of the universe, sharing his glory and excellence because his spirit empowered you, his word showed you the way, and his community came alongside you. And brotherly love was the ultimate display of the kingdom of God because God is love and we are loved by him. So Peter begins to say, come on, people, let's go live this out together and see the glorious wonders that wait for us to be discovered. So that when we come off this island and people say, what was it like to follow God? We're like, <laughs> and we talk like I talk about the snorkeling on this island. And it was just stupid snorkeling when we get to talk about God's work in us and through us on this planet. It'll be a thousand times more glorious than the best snorkeling in the world. Get your goggles on, get in the water, and start living what you know to be right, Peter says, so that we might know the wonders of God that is ours for the taking. Come on, people, let's pray. God, thank you so much. Man, thank you for your love for us, that you not only allowed us to be recipients of the gospel, but participants in it, partakers of your glory and excellence, image bearers of your character and nature that you have empowered us with your spirit, given us your word and given us the biblical community to stir up and spur on each of us toward love and good deeds. God, give us the courage, all of us, that in the areas we do struggle, in the areas that we find ourselves choosing to ignore that which we know is right, whether through addiction or struggle or temptation, give us the courage to reach out to those in our biblical community to say, hey, could you come alongside me and help me? Because I want to live like the people that are not nearsighted and blind. God, give us the diligence to study your word. Give us the gift to engage with your spirit and walk in your ways and show us what it's like to be a people that start living out what we know to be true and show us the fruit 
and fruitfulness that will come from that, both for ourselves, for this community, and for the world. God, thank you for Peter and the way you stirred in him to write this letter that is so full of hope for the world, so full of a sense that this dark world is waiting for a people to walk in with light and life and freedom, to trust you and to live out of the kingdom we know we're part of. God, thank you for all that you've done for us and all that you're doing and all that you're allowing us to do with you. Show us the way we pray in Jesus' name.